say, who did you vote for? Do you support Man United? Will you lend me money? <laughs> See, I'm learning about an awful lot of people here right now going, nope. Or maybe some uh, uh, the young ones in the church might say, well, are you single? Yes. Okay, right, well, I know I want to keep talking to you. Or mm, I don't want to talk to you <laughs> or whatever happens to be. I, I think you get a fairly good idea about someone if you were to honestly answer one of these questions. This evening, though, I want to continue to insist that the most important question to ask ourselves is, what kind of a savior is Jesus? What kind of savior is Jesus? Because that will reveal a lot about how we see the world, about our kind of world values and worldviews. It's a very probing question. Uh, and one that needs to get right, because if we get the question wrong, then it has big impact. It's got big implications for what happens next. So it's hugely fundamental. That shapes so much of how we think and how we live. Uh, remember, Jesus asked this question to his disciples, the people who knew him and followed him the closest in Matthew 16. Jesus said, who do men say that I am? That the Son of Man. Oh, excuse me. And they answered and they gave him several different answers. Some said that you're John the Baptist back again. Some say you're Elijah. Some say that you're Jeremiah. Some say that you're different incarnations of different people coming back. Some say, you know, one of the other prophets and... Jesus asked them a second question. He says, okay, right, well, now we know who they think I am. Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. The identity of Jesus Christ is a really important, fundamental question to be settled and is the most important thing about you. And so this evening, I want to take a look at a single interaction that will help us build the answer to this question. I mean, all these messages that we're doing all kind of build towards the answer to the question. This series is about hope. And I believe that it comes, the hope isn't in church. The hope isn't singing songs uh, as great as our musicians are. The hope is found in knowing him. I am certainly not going to say that hoping in Christ makes all your problems go away or that life gets easier but I promise you that as you go through those trials you will get through those trials that's what David wrote in Psalm 23 yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and that's a long shadow death bereavement sickness they cast long dark shadows on our lives but even though I walk through that valley, I still have to go through that valley. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. The Bible is filled with impossible, hopeless situations. Situations and circumstances appear in the Word of God, and so many of them appear impossible, that there's no solution to really get around them. Storms, rage, there's needs, there's deaths, there's sicknesses, and there's so many different scenarios and situations that we come across and to the human mind, they are impossible, yet each one reveals the power of God to overcome. Mark's gospel in particular is filled with these impossible situations. And in the space of a few chapters, you have storms and, and, and demons and uh, death. And Jesus steps in into every single one of these unimaginable situations and proves that he is capable of handling whatever happens in our lives. 
One truth that demonstrates itself over and over in the, bio, in the pages of the Bible is the truth that God is more than enough for any situation. More than enough for any situation. There are no impossible situations. There are no hopeless predicaments with God. To give up on hope is to give up on God because God is a God of hope. Nothing is hopeless with our God. And so last week we saw that he was a savior who shows up for us. The feeding of the 5,000, the walking on the water. He showed up. It seems strange. He seemed to withdraw at the wrong time, but he showed up whenever he, they needed him the most. Then last Sunday night, we looked at the Savior who speaks up for us, the woman who was caught in this act of adultery. She knew that she was guilty. Everyone knew that she was guilty. But Jesus turned and said to her, but I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. Hope. Even for people who are caught out for doing the things that they know they shouldn't have done. This evening, I want to add to that list. Hopefully. There we go. God knows when to hold us up. Now, I think I should explain what I mean by holding us up because it can give different uh, scenarios. To me, it speaks of giving us strength uh, to endure when we feel that we are weak and insufficient. Okay, And I know you could... Some of these could go, oh, really? Super spiritual man says, well, Jeff, you know, the Bible says that we're always insufficient all the time. Every breath is from God. And yeah, okay, I know that. But we don't often feel that insufficiency. We don't always feel that weakness. But there are times when we do feel that insufficiency. Okay, are you tracking with me? There is a difference there. Sometimes we feel that need. We feel that we fall so short. We feel that we are so weak and so far from where we ought to be and what we should be doing when we feel so overwhelmed by life and our faith seems so fragile and we feel that kind of weakness so much more than we normally do or should. Or I want you to see that we have a God who holds us up in those times of weakness, who will keep us on our feet, who will keep us standing, who keeps us moving in our walk with him. Because there are some who maybe would say, yeah, well, I feel that God holds us up in the same way that we might say we got held up in traffic. You know, he gets in the way. He slows us down. He's got all these rules. He's got all these regulations. And to be honest, I would get a whole lot further, a whole lot faster if I didn't have all these rules and regulations. He's holding me up from what I really want to do. That's not the message tonight. I'm thinking about how he holds us up in our weakness with his strength. Turn with me to, to Mark 9, please. This story does appear in a number of the other Gospels, but Mark includes a couple of wonderful extra details that really just make it extra special, at least to, uh, to me anyway. Uh, so in Mark 9, we have a few amazing events happening, and I think most people tend to focus on the transfiguration. Uh, Jesus kind of gets this uh, whole new uh, aura around him, and the disciples are in awe, and they're blown away, and it's one of the big highlights of the Christian faith. But just as Jesus, Peter, James, and John are coming back down towards the other disciples, they're coming across a bit of a commotion. So they're literally walking down away from that moment into this um, commotion. No. Verse 14. Hopefully, please. Thanks. Uh, When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, 
For he is a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. So here's a man who's come to try and, and get healing for his son. The disciples have failed miserably and now it's drawn attention and people are laughing at the disciples because they can't do the things that they said that they were able to do, to do the things that they were expected to do because they've already done them before. And there seems to be this inability now to do that. Matthew, when he tells the same story, calls the boy an epileptic. Um, Mark calls it a mute spirit. Matthew gets more descriptive, saying he's got epilepsy. Uh, the King James Version, the old translation, says he's a lunatic. Uh, the idea being that he sort of stared into the moon and, and went moon crazy. So Mark gives us this detail that it's not a medical condition that boy has. It's a spiritual problem that he has with physical symptoms. It's a demon inside him. It's not one of those things that has happened, okay? Let, let's be honest. It has happened down through the years where people have had actually physical illnesses, okay? Whether it is mental health problems, schizophrenia, um, even epilepsy or autism or, or some of these things that we know about and, we, and we're still wrestling to understand, but we're, we're trying to understand. Maybe in, through history, it's, oh, they're, they're demon-possessed. They're, they're crazy. There's a demon in them, and they got locked up, and they got thrown on, uh, under lock and key. That's not what's happening here, okay? Matthew does say he's got physical problems, but Scripture is clearly telling us that the problem is spiritual. The problem is spiritual. The symptoms are physical. So, so let's not get caught out here. Now, I love this father in this story. I love this father. I'm sure the disciples don't love him at all at this point. They're going, oh, why has he going to go and tell on us? Uh, we couldn't do it. We're a wee bit embarrassed. We're getting this hard time. And okay, here we go. Now the boss is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And now he's touting on us. He's grassing us up. And now everybody knows that we messed up. So they're probably not too loving this guy at the minute. For whatever reason, they can't heal his son, and he's telling Jesus on them. Uh, and so the disciples don't like this guy, but I love him. He, he loves his son so much that his primary goal is to get his son to Jesus. Every father's goal should be, how can I get my son, how can I get my daughter to Jesus? How can I get them closer to Jesus? Even if the disciples of Jesus weren't able to help, don't let that stop you from bringing your son before Jesus. Don't ever let it be an excuse that, well, you know, that, that church, I, I was burned by that church, and so I'm giving up on Jesus. That pastor, those Christians let me down, and that, so I'm not going to bother trying to bring my, my, my children, my family to Jesus. I, I think there's a real hurt there. This father has tried to bring his son to Jesus. And the followers of Jesus have been, have been unable to make any difference in his life. And there's hurt there. We'll talk about that in a minute. But there's another hurt as well. The scribes and the people are laughing at the disciples because they claim to have power and yet don't seem to have any. They can't fix the problem that they used to be able to fix. A powerless church portrays Jesus Christ in a very bad light. Because the disciples lacked power, the father of this little boy just assumed that Jesus lacked power as well. 
The same is true around the church of God globally. When a lost world walks into a church and, and sees deadness, sees coldness, sees apathy, sees uh, selfishness, they just assume that the Jesus that they worship, the Jesus that they talk about, the Jesus that they try to emulate is just as lifeless, just as powerless, and just as uninterested in them as all the Christians around them. Most churches are guilty of false advertising like that. You'll, you'll not believe how many churches will tell people, oh, we're so warm and friendly. And they're not really. But they like to tell each other because they're friendly to each other, not necessarily to people who are new to the church. We claim to have something to offer the world, but we've got nothing but a cold, dead religion, a series of rules and regulations that doesn't help anyone. Churches will let you down. People will let you down. But you've got to get them to Jesus. You've got to get people to Jesus. Do not give up on God because the pastor's not perfect, okay? Please don't give up on church because the people aren't perfect. That's like saying, I refuse to go to hospital because have you ever noticed every time you go in the hospital, all the people are still sick in there. It's not doing them any good. I would have thought that if they were going to hospital, they should all be better by now. Well, no, we don't think like that because we understand, no, the hospital is a place where sick people go and they're there while they get treatment. So they're still going to be sick and they're not going to leave until they're better. We understand that there's so many doctors and so we meet there, we, we, we tend to meet where the medicine is given. So why should we be so surprised at imperfect people meeting in a place where grace is given and forgiveness is taught? and hope and a new beginning is offered through the scriptures. Or you might say, I'm never going to date anyone ever again. I'm giving up on the opposite sex. I'm becoming a monk or a nun or something. Because Why? Why would you do that? Because the first guy I dated, he didn't marry me. Or that girl, that first girl I kissed, she went on to love another. I think if we all gave up after one attempt, we'd all be living in the monastery. And the human race would have died out by about Genesis 11. I don't think it would work like too well. But this father figure doesn't fall for that way of thinking about faith in God. He knows that there's a difference between going to the representatives of the man and going to the man himself, Jesus Christ. And so as Jesus comes into the area, as the commotion's going on, he already knows what's happening. But he asks the question, he starts to get involved in the conversation. And he opens up and the father says that they tried to fix the spiritual problem, but couldn't. But Jesus, I want you to try. I've brought him to you because these guys can't help, but my goal was always to bring you to them, uh, to bring him to you, not to them. So many times. I, I meet people, I encounter people who have walked away from church because they forget that it's Christ who's the perfect one. They expect all the people in church to be perfect except them. You know, everyone's supposed to be put on up with their imperfections, but they're all supposed to be perfect. You know, show grace to me. But you all guys are all supposed to be, you know, just there on it. Folks, I, I hope you don't expect perfection from me. I, it's impossible for me to give it to you. I can try to give you my best as consistently as I can, but I will fail in that. A pastor, a church, 
will never fix your spiritual problems. If the symptoms take on physical, emotional, mental characteristics, much like the disciples, we can do our best, we can try and help, but ultimately we don't really have power to be enough or to do enough. All we can do is point you to the one who can do these things. All we can do is point you to Christ. So let me ask you the question, what is your hope really in? What is your trust really in? What is your faith really in? That somehow if you come to church, your doubts will go away? Or maybe that if you listen to all the podcasts, which I really recommend, by the way, but if, you, you know, if I do that, will all my cynicism and all my questions just be answered? Or maybe if I join the small groups, maybe my sinful desires will make a way for, for, for loving prayer meetings. Look, doing these things might help in some way to do these things, but they're not going to fix the problem because the heart of the problem is a problem with the heart. A spiritual problem needs Christ. So don't put your hope in me. Don't put your hope in us as a church. Put your hope in Christ because that's where our hope is. We're not hoping in ourselves. So don't you hope in us. This church has everything it needs to exist. Like most churches, it has nice facilities to meet, um, skilled people to, to teach and to lead and to do the music. And, and most churches have enough money to do the things that they need to do. And we can fill up the pews and we can do the jobs around it, but a lot of churches lack the one thing that they need the most. And that's the power of God to make a real difference. The building here, outside of arts, is making a promise to the world, or at least we should be making that promise to the world, that this building tells every single person who walks past, who passes by, that this is a place where God meets with his people. This church should be a promise to anyone who is going past that for in a needy world that they can find help by coming in here. This church says, if you need God, we can help you get to him. If your life is broken, we can show you how God can fix it. If your family is coming apart, we can show you how God can help put it back together again. If you're lost, we can show you how to be saved. This church makes a promise to the world that we are different to how they are, different to who they are, different to how they think, that we are able to help them and that we care about them. So how does Jesus respond to this man who's coming to him? Um, can we move on, please? Um, I'm going to give up on this. No, verses 19, please. There we go. I'm going to give up on this. I'm just going to talk to you. Um, verse 19, he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And so Jesus puts the ball right back in his court. He says, well, what do you mean if? What do you mean if? And in the context here, the question is, even when other religious people have failed you, even whenever other religious people, like the Christians, like the disciples, even whenever you've been let down by people who follow me, by people who know me, by people who love me, 
Are you still prepared to believe that I, Jesus, the Messiah, am able to help you and work in your problem? So even whenever other people let you down, do you still believe in me? That's what Jesus is asking this guy. Do you believe? Where is your faith? Where is your hope? Where is your trust really? And so if we put up the next verse, verse 24, immediately, immediately, this guy doesn't hesitate at asking this, or at saying this. The father of the child cried out and says, I believe. But help my unbelief. I think this is an incredible answer. I really, really love this. Do you know why I love this? I love it because it's honest. He doesn't try and excuse it. He doesn't try and say anything other than the reality of it. He's not giving Jesus the answer that he thinks that Jesus would want to hear. He's not faking it. Or he's not trying to say, well, look, I don't believe it because those guys messed up. I, would, I was believing strongly in you, Jesus, until I met those disciples. Oh, they, they, they messed with me. They hurt me. No, he just as honest as Jesus. I do believe. But sometimes I don't believe. Sometimes I find it really hard to believe. I, I wonder if you can relate to that. There's a part of you that believes. But there's a part of you that doesn't believe. Lord, I believe you, but I bounce back from to faith and doubt depending on my experiences depending on the time of day, depending on if I've had my breakfast or not. There's so many variables, and and it just goes up and down and up and down. Help my unbelief. I think it's a beautiful prayer. I think it's a fair prayer. I I would take this chance then to denounce those of Uh, Some of these faith movements that say, well, God will heal you if you have enough faith. You know, they they say, look, you have to have this perfect faith. If if there's any doubt, you need to get rid of that doubt. And if you believe completely, totally, then God will heal you. God will give you what you want. God will give you what you want. God will come through for you. But if you haven't been healed, if you haven't got what you wanted, then it's because you haven't had enough faith. We've heard, we've heard these groups. We, we know what they're like. Because if that was the case, then Jesus would have said to this guy, come back when you have enough faith. But I think this way of thinking, it, it makes someone so horribly, horribly cruel. Because if that were true, Jesus would have said, come back when you believe enough. You, you've unbelief. Sounds like you're not too sure. You don't really trust me, do you? I can't work in your life if you don't trust me. Remember, we're talking about a Savior who can hold us up in our weakness, in those moments of doubt, when our faith is insufficient. Here we find a man who comes. Church people, followers of Jesus, have failed him. They've let him down. His faith now that was strong in him coming is now starting to waver. He does have doubts. He is inconsistent. And he comes before Jesus and he says, I'm here. But I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm not all here. I have some doubts. I, I'm questioning things. 
Let's go to the next verse. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, okay, so, so people are starting to gather in again, and they're leaning in close. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to you, mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. He lifted him up. He held him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, this is an incredible thing. Uh, maybe it's not something that I should be pointing out, but I, I think it really is something that I need to point out because it, it, it's reality, it's truth, it's where I know a lot of you have been or maybe are, and so uh, burying our head in the ground isn't going to help us any. Notice the running order of these events. The father and his family are in difficulty. They come to the church people. They come to the disciples, the people who follow God. They let him down, and his faith begins to weaken and crumble. His son is already sick. He's already stressed, and now the church, the people have let him down. And he, it bruises their faith. They've got questions now. And so they come, and, and this, Jesus says, okay, look, take a leap of faith. Believe in me. In this moment, believe and the crowd all start leaning in because it's one thing for the disciples to mess up, all right? They're the trainees. They're the apprentices, okay? We kind of expect apprentices to sometimes get it wrong. We expect the trainees to kind of have ups and downs. But what's Jesus going to do now? Because if the master gets it wrong, then everything falls apart, doesn't it? I mean, the scribes, the Pharisees, they're, they're, they're laying the boot into the, the, the disciples for messing up. Imagine what they do if Jesus can't heal the guy. What if he feels? What if he lets them down? And so everyone, all the skeptics, all the believers, they lean in, they hold their breath. What's going to happen now? And Jesus calls out the demon, come out and never get back into him again. And then the demon attacks the boy a second time. Look at it, verse 26. He starts convulsing, and then the boy is left looking like a corpse. What does that do to your faith then? What does that do to your faith in those minutes? What does that do to your faith whenever you're already questioning things? Because your faith can be shaken by Christians. It can be shaken by a church. But it's a completely different thing when Jesus feels. What happens to you whenever Jesus himself is the one who lets you down? Brought my son to Jesus. And now he's a corpse. Jesus, what was the plan with this? Where is the, st the step of faith taking you from here? And I can imagine it may have only been a couple of seconds, but in those seconds, there must have been a lifetime of thought, especially for this father. And he stares. And it's like the whole town has gone quiet as they watch to see what is happening. They're frozen in this moment. And then Jesus, still aware of everyone's questions, still aware of everyone's belief and unbelief and questions and, and doubts, 
he reaches out to the boy, takes his hands and holds him up and hands him over to the father. Now, I'm going to suggest that he, this child is maybe five or six years old and he's had this epilepsy. He's having these seizures from me. He was maybe two or three as a toddler. So he's had them for a couple of years because just the, the, the act of holding him and handing him over to the father. I know that some of you have started to come to this church because there have been other Christians and other churches that have hurt you. And it's a terrible reality that sometimes churches aren't perfect and Christians aren't perfect. But it's even worse so whenever they fail in the most basic tasks of pointing people to Christ and being focused on Christ. And it's one of the most horrible things as a pastor, as a church leader, to know that there are people who are maybe even in this room and their lives have been made harder, their faith has been made weaker because of other people who should have been pointing them to Jesus. And maybe you're here this evening and the Father in this scripture is someone that you can really identify with. You've kind of gone through that sequence of events. So let me proclaim this to you this evening. God can hold you up. When people fail you, God will not fail you. Whenever good people aren't good enough, God won't disappoint you. When all hope seems lost, God is not finished yet. The command to the Father was the turning point. I believe, but help my unbelief. Jesus' response was effectively, okay, but in this moment, in this moment, right now, choose to believe in me. Make that choice. Believe. It was a command. He commanded him to believe. Make the choice. And look, if you're hurting, you're struggling tonight, don't focus on, can I be the kind of Christian that I'm always supposed to be or supposed to be or used to be or, you know, and sort of try and sort of think, I need to have everything fixed. Instead, if you're under the cosh and you're getting that squeeze on and it's hard and it's difficult, in those hardest moments, say, in this moment, in this moment, right now, I choose to believe in who God is. I'm going to hold fast to what I know and what I believe in him. I believe you can see me now, God. I believe you can hear me now, God. Do not let me down in this moment, God. I don't know about tomorrow. I'm not thinking about tomorrow. I'm not even thinking about later on today. But right now, in this moment, I believe in you. That's all Jesus asked of the Father. He says, don't think about all these other people. Don't think about all these other circumstances in this moment. Get your eyes on me. But remember, I said at the start, there were two hurts in the story. The disciples get Jesus to the side after this. And they're like, Jesus, how come we couldn't do that? We've healed people before. We've cast out demons before. We've done all these things before. Why were we not able to do this this time? 
these disciples, they have saving faith. They trust in Christ. They're trusting in Jesus. They have trusting faith. They know and believe that it's possible. They've done it before. Jesus, what, what are we doing wrong? What are we doing wrong in our lives that we've lost any sense of power of God in our lives? If we go to the next slide there, Matthew 17 is telling the same scenario. And, and it's the same um, exchange. But Matthew records this one in a wee bit more detail. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, how can we cannot cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. That's why you couldn't do it. You had little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, which is small, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. So Jesus says that the problem is you've got little faith, so what you need is faith like a mustard seed, which is a bit of a puzzle for me. I, I, I struggled with this for a long time because I can't figure out, Jesus, what are you really trying to say? You've got little faith, so what you need is tiny faith? What are you really trying to say here? Let me give you an example, okay? And um, it is just an illustration because some of you just might laugh. And I don't want you to laugh, all right? Imagine I started to eat healthy. I told you you were going to laugh. Now, the idea is I want to lose some weight. I want to look more like a rugby player and less like a rugby ball. And I ate a salad at lunchtime. I go to the mirror. I stand side on and go, it didn't work. I believed that that salad was going to make me healthy. I believed that salad was going to make me skinny. Oh, salad, I don't believe in you anymore. I'm stopping. I've tried eating healthy and it doesn't work. You'd say, Jeff, you're a maniac. Of course, it's not going to work after one salad. You need to believe. You need to trust but most importantly, you need to persist. You need to keep going, okay? It's, it's not just a case of doing it once and then you're sorted. You need to keep trusting that the salads are going to make you healthier. You're going to lose the weight. You need to keep trusting it, persisting in that belief. You say, no, I believed it would have worked. I sacrificed my steak for that salad. I'm walking away from salads. There's a difference between having a faith that something will work and say, you know what, I'm going to try that. I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to give that a go. There's a difference, though, when a faith that says, okay, I'm trying it, but I'm not getting the results yet, but I'm going to stick with the process. I'm going to keep on doing it. And even though I'm not getting the results or any results or slow results, I'm going to keep trusting that my diet is going to give me the results that I want. Two different types of faith. Okay, are you tracking with me now? Yeah, you sort of see. So often it's the case throughout church history. Whenever things are going well for people, and we can speak in very spiritual jargon, but basically things are easy to believe. It's easy to believe God is good whenever the economy is good. It's easy to believe that God is good when the job is providing and the family is well. Is God good? Oh, God is good. I have to praise him for that. It's a very different thing to say that God is good when the family isn't well, 
or the job isn't working out, or you've just been made redundant. Uh, and that's when the true size of your faith is really revealed. Can you still believe in the provider whenever you don't see the provision? Because at some point, at the start of the story, the disciples gave up trying to heal the boy. Right? Because that's where the commotion is. Jesus, we tried. And then we stopped. So now we're coming to you. They stopped praying. They stopped persisting. Their their hope faded as soon as it stopped being easy for them. Because it was easy all those other times they performed the miracles. They cast out demons. They did all these other things. That was easy for them because they prayed it and they saw it and it happened. And life was easy and life was good and it was fine. But this was hard. Jesus, that's not working for us. It's hard now. See, the disciples did not feel because they didn't believe. They did believe. They believed definitely that otherwise they wouldn't have. You don't try to cast out a demon if you don't think that there's going to be a result. All right? You, you know, you don't try that sort of thing. What are you expecting to happen? They believed they could do it. And whenever they failed, they felt humiliated. They felt that they had been uh, left high and dry. And they were amazed and dismayed. This didn't work. I can't believe this. What's happened? What's gone wrong? The problem was they believed in the wrong things. Their faith, their hope, their trust was in the wrong things. They failed because their faith was in their words and in their rituals that they used and not in God. Their faith was in the ritual. Their their faith was what they had done before. We've always done this, Jesus. We've done this for, for months now. It's not working now. But we're saying the same things. We're doing the same things. Why is it not working? These men failed because they were not leaning on the Lord Jesus Christ for their power that they needed. Folks, we so often fail to make a real difference, to make a real impact in the lives around us because we lack his power for the very same reasons. We lack the power of God in the modern church because we lack that Discipline. That's why Jesus says, look, it's, uh, you need that prayer. You need that discipline. You need that fasting. They had the formula. They had the rituals. But they lacked the power of God to get the job done. And I think I see a lot of that in churches across Northern Ireland. And so you'll have some people in churches that will say, bring back the glory days. Start hitting people with big King James Bibles. Start smashing them in the face with tracks. Get back to the glory days. Real preaching. Other people will just look around at other big churches and say, they've got big people. Let's do what they're doing. And we kind of so we'll just bounce along. We'll just follow the different trends and we'll follow different. Well, sometimes we just think that, well, sure, I had a wee five-minute prayer at the start of the day. Sure, I read a couple of verses in the Bible. Why isn't the fire falling from heaven? Because, sure, I'm doing a wee bit of religious stuff in my life. Sure, it should all happen automatically then, because I've done my Bible reading, I've done my prayer time. The truth is, there's no power in it. There'll be no glory in it. There'll be no revival in it until God's people learn to lean on Him and not in the rituals of the things that they're doing. What do we really need? Well, Jesus tells us, a mustard seed faith. If we go to the next slide. See, the mustard seed starts off as the tiniest of seeds. 
the most fragile of seeds, and yet it grows out. So it's not, mustard seed faith is not great because it is little. It is great because it grows out of littleness. Okay? So it starts off the smallest. It's fragile. It persists. It doesn't give up. It doesn't start growing, and then it reaches to the same sort of size as other trees around us and says, okay, I'm happy here. No, it keeps going until it reaches its full potential. It keeps going, never content just to match all the things around it, but to grow to its fullest potential that it can. That's a mustard seed. You think about the parables that Jesus taught. In Luke 11, there's the the story of the noisy neighbor. And it's late at night, people are in bed, yet he keeps banging the door, keeps banging the door. I need supplies, I need supplies. And visitors came late at night, and I, I got caught short. I need something, I need something, I need something. And Jesus says, I'll tell you, it's not because we were his friend he got anything, but because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Because he persisted, he got what he wanted. That mustard seed faith that didn't say, I'm going to stop because it got hard, but I'm going to keep going because it is hard. We need to keep going. Or in Luke 18, we have the parable of the widow nagging and annoying the unrighteous judge into giving her justice. And verse 1 introduces that parable by saying, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and give up when it gets hard. No that they won't give up, that they won't lose heart. Just on on the last slide. Mustard seed faith. Even if your obstacle, if your burden, your trial is as big as a mountain, the mustard seed believer persists until it is conquered. How do you get through the mountain? One step at a time. You keep persisting. You keep going. Because each and every moment we feel overwhelmed, we choose in that moment to believe that God has not abandoned us, that he has not forsaken us, that he will hold us up. But oh, through those difficult times that we might be able to keep our eyes on him and instead of following the disciples' pattern where we start to give up and throw a tantrum or throw a huff or whatever whenever we don't get our way or when it gets hard or whenever we start to rely on our own habits and our routines to try and keep us strong, may we be like this father who even though he had his doubts, even though he was struggling, even though he didn't really understand everything that was happening to him, he believed in Christ even in his doubts. In that moment, he believed that Christ was able to bring him through. It's exactly what David meant when he said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though life has these shadows that fall on my path, I will not be afraid, I will not be overwhelmed because I know, I believe that he is with Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do not pretend to know everyone's situation tonight. And I'll certainly not pretend to know what's going on in some of the uh, deeper parts of our thoughts and our faith. But Lord, we pray that you would strengthen those hearts that are weary tonight. Lord, those who are really struggling to understand what's happening, 
or, or who are still hurting because of how other Christians and how other churches taught them or treated them or spoke to them. Whatever it is, Lord, may we never lose our faith and trust in you. Lord, I love how this man admitted happily, readily, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I'm not going to hide the fact I've got my doubts. I'm not going to pretend that I've, I'm, I'm sorted and I'm strong in my faith. But Lord, I don't want to be left this way. Help me in this. Help me in this moment to believe. Help me in this day, in this hour, in this trial to keep believing. Lord, I pray for those hearts that are failing and falling this evening. Lord, that you would come and you would hold them up. That they would get their eyes off people and set their eyes on you. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen.